Sarnell Williams at the tailback. They'll hand it off to Williams up the middle. 25, cuts it inside. Perfect. 35, 40. There goes Cadillac. To the 50, to the 40, to the 30, to the 20, to the 15, 10. Go crazy, Cadillac. Go crazy. Touchdown. Now they can play a little safer, but they're not going to. Nicks is back. Throws it down. Field. A 20-yard attempt. Josh Harris, the snapper. He'll call to the place. He'll hold it. Byron waits for the snap to the place. There it is. The kick is up. The kick is good. Auburn wins. 22-19. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Red Cup Auburn podcast. And it's been a little while since we've talked. We were kind of expecting a little bit more uh, practice notes and all that, but you know we're we're here now. There are 17 days until football. We're excited to go back to the weekly schedule. Um, we thought that we would talk first about Auburn football and then kind of branch off and the other football things and maybe talk about uh, some basketball at the end of the pod. But right now, uh, we either we're talking we're going to be talking about the running back group and how the room is looking so far in practice. So right now it looks like the guys getting the touches. You've got Sean Shivers, DJ Williams, Tank Bigsby, Mark Anthony Richards, and Harold Joyner. So, Wheeler, in your opinion, who do you think will be the uh, the top dog coming out week one? Yeah, I think you said it best a little bit earlier when you were talking about um, we thought there would be a little bit more practice notes. You know, typically when fall camp hits, reporters are usually allowed to go into practice and. You know, you have quote-unquote anonymous sources, which really means the reporter's just standing there watching the practice. But obviously, with COVID going on, uh, they're actually locking these practices down. So, information's been much slower to come out. But I feel like the one place that we've actually gotten some information has been about the running backs. Mm -hmm. Um, And it seems like coming, you know, as the dark horse to be the starter is going to be Sean Shivers, in my opinion. I agree. Noble, I know you were not super high on Shivers um, earlier in the offseason. Um, and I can see where a lot of Auburn fans would discount him because of his size and would say, well, he's good for his size, but he's not an every down back. But let me tell you, all of the times that I've seen Sean Shivers playing for Auburn, the man runs like his hair's on fire. And, I mean, yeah, he's, like, not very tall. But he is still a very he's, – He's big. He's stout. real stout, yeah. Yeah, he is really stout. And I think that he could surprise people. I mean, another misconception that I think a lot of people say is, oh, he can't run the ball up the middle. Well, yeah, he's not as heavy as a guy like maybe Tank Bigsby or Harold Joyner just because of his height. But if you think about it, I mean, it's tough to take down those little bowling balls. Yeah. You know, I mean, we saw it with Xavier McKinney, and I know that – you know, everybody, whenever they think Sean Shivers, thinks about that play. But, I mean, that's a good example of he was – yeah, it was a jet sweep, but what he did to Xavier would be a linebacker trying to fill the hole. You yeah, know? I mean, yeah, that was head up, yeah. So, head up, hitting somebody, an SEC, and now NFL defender, he was able to blow right through him. And, obviously, the guy has elite speed. I don't know if you remember. It was the Iron Bowl two years ago. 2018, he had that yeah. massive breakaway run, and it gets called back for a bogus holding foul because the tide pay off the refs, as we all know. 
Um, but, yeah, I mean, the guy has really shown flashes, and I think that this is his time to shine. I think DJ Williams got a lot of, you know, fanfare last season because he was better than Booby, which a lot of people thought Booby was great. We can see by his transfer destination, he was not great. I was never super high on Booby. Noble, were you a Booby guy? My 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 thought process was I thought he was I thought he was a serviceable serviceable back in the SEC, but I didn't think he was the guy. You know, like he wanted to carry on Johnson, he wanted to Trey Mason, he wanted to Peyton Barber. He was just he was a good enough player, but I'd never really thought he was going to be the guy and. I thought that he could be a little bit better if he picked up some speed and, you know, didn't fumble as much, but he never really, never really fixed that problem. But uh, the fumbles yeah. really plagued him. And I feel Definitely. like DJ Williams is the same type of player as Booby. I think he is a serviceable guy, but I honestly think he's more, he's closer to Malik Miller than. Sean Chai. You know, like, I think he's closer to being the guy that's the A-Day hero than being an actual star. Whereas I feel like Sean Chivers is a baller. So, I think Chivers should be number one. I think DJ will probably be number two just because of seniority. Um, and then, I mean, it's a really deep running back room. And then I think you have Mark Anthony Richards and Tank. Um I'll be interested to see how they distribute the carries between them because you've got a lot of guys. And we didn't even mention Harold Joyner. Poor Harold Joyner. The dude balls when he gets out yeah. on the field. But, I mean, he's stuck right now in a position group that's just loaded. Yeah, that's one of the – probably the most loaded position group Auburn's had in years, and he's just kind of stuck in the mix. And so, the, I think the question that we don't really know about the running backs – they can all run the football, some better than others. I think Sean Chivers, one of the better runners. We haven't seen Mark Anthony Richards. We haven't seen Tank in college. I think it's going to come down to who can block mm -hmm. and who can catch out of the backfield. Because another thing that has kind of been getting leaked from players talking is this newfound offense that Chad Morris has brought. It sounds like we're going to be slinging the ball around a lot more. Um, and I don't know, have you heard anything about the blocking ability of these backs or? Um, so I'm pretty sure from what, I, from what I've heard, at least, DJ, is, DJ and Harold are kind of some of the better blockers on the team. Harold mainly just because he's so big. Um, but Harold, I believe, Harold is the best, uh, you know, going back from last year, you could see this a little bit. He's one of the better guys of catching out of the backfield. And being a guy, like, he's a good route runner. You know, his hands aren't necessarily like a wide receiver's hands. He still kind of has the running back hands. But his route running looks like a wide receiver. And he's 6'4", 210. So, like, I mean, that's that's big. I mean, he's actually – I think he's 210, 215, 220 in that area. So, you know, I think that when Harold's on the field, he's going to be a guy where it's the linebacker doesn't really know what to do with them because on some plays he's going to step up and block and some plays he's going to go out on a route. So I think that's a good thing about Harold is that he kind of has that wild card aspect of him that you don't really know what he's going to do. Whereas last year, you know, you could tell by the personnel what we were doing. Like when Malik Miller went trotting out there on third and 12, everybody knew he's going to sit back, he's going to stay in the pocket, and he's going to block the first guy he sees. When Cam Martin would go out there, 
everyone knew this guy is not going to be the blocker. So I think that that's a, it's a good thing, you know, when you've got a guy that can do more than one thing, that way you can have some more uh, unpredictability in the offense. Uh, but, yeah, I have been hearing a lot about Chad Morris that he wants to throw. I mean, if you're an eligible receiver, he wants to throw it to you. So we're going to be throwing it to more running backs, more tight ends, receivers, all that good stuff. And I think that's going to help because I keep getting conflicting reports about the offensive line. It seems to mm-hmm. me like before the COVID break, and the, for those that don't know, about – I guess it was last week, was it? Last week or was it two weeks ago at this point that – Auburn didn't practice for almost a week. It um, was it was the week before this one. Okay, yeah. We didn't practice for almost a week. Um, I think it was nine players had become COVID positive and a total of 16 guys were sitting out um, because of contract, contact tracing issues. That coupled with the social justice protests, Gus just kind of let the guys take uh, the week off and then they got back on the practice field. and uh, But during before that, it seems like a lot of reports were out talking about the offensive line, the offensive line. Oh, man, they're blocking. They're doing this. They're doing that. And then all of a sudden, we get back from this little COVID break, and everybody's like, the offensive line is a huge question mark. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't know if it was people were just pumping the offensive line or if they were good for – you know, it being six weeks away from the season, but now that we're three weeks away from the season, they're like, okay, they kind of look like they did when we were six weeks away from the season. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that having Chad Morris bring that unpredictability to the offense is going to help a lot, especially early in the season. You think about it, this Kentucky team, they can watch film on Bo Nix. They They can watch film on Seth Williams. But most of these guys – one are new, and two, they're running a completely different offense. And so there's not a lot of film that you're going to get out. And there's not going to be film leaked to practice because literally, I mean, it is like yeah. lockdown central. So they're not going to know. I think that the offense is really going to come out, especially in the first half of the Kentucky game. And I think that they're going to be able to put up some really big numbers solely based off of the fact that Kentucky doesn't know what's coming. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't know the new formations. They don't know the motions. And if we're throwing to tight ends and running backs, that's something Auburn hasn't seen in a long time, it seems like. Um, so I'm excited to see, especially the first half of the Kentucky game, and hope that they can't turn it around at halftime. Um, yeah, yeah, I definitely think that the uh, it's going to be tough for Kentucky to prepare for that game because they don't know how different the Auburn offense is going to be. Um, you know, I made a post about this, uh, I think, on Monday or Tuesday, something like that. And it was just kind of how the starting lineups have looked so far. So, right now, it's looking like the starting offensive line will be Austin Troxel at left tackle, Brandon Council at left guard, Nick Brahms at center, uh, Tayshawn Manning at right guard, and Brodarius Ham at right tackle. So, that the, – the starting five, I think, will be pretty solid. You know, we know Brahms, he's a, he's a solid guy. I've been hearing a lot about Council. I've been hearing that he's been playing really well, and he's very versatile. I mean, they say he's been moving all around the line. So, he's a – it's good to have a versatile guy because in case, you know, Tayshawn Manning goes down at right guard, you can move Council to the right and move someone else to the left, whatever. Um, and Austin Troxel, if he can just stay healthy – I think that if he can just if he can stay healthy this year, I think he can he can play at a high level because every time we've seen him, he's looked good. 
the issue is he just keeps going down with these awful injuries. So, uh, yeah, definitely the offensive line is going to be a thing to watch. We've been talking about it all year, and we're just going to have to keep talking about it until we see him in action. An offensive line, I think, is one is going to be interesting for a lot of teams around the country because that's one of the position groups that it is very much a unit that gets used to playing with each other. And when you, you know, if you drop two guys because of COVID mm-hmm. or Lord forbid, you have your whole offensive line out because of contact tracing and positive COVID tests. I mean, that would be a major blow. Yeah. Um, so that's definitely, I think more so than injuries this year, the offensive line play and seeing who's going to get contact tracing and all that kind of stuff is going to be the biggest part for the offense. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, adding on that, uh, I think it's Miami. They've got a game on Saturday, and they're starting a tight end at right guard. Yeah, they're playing against uh, UAV down in Miami. Yeah, so you've got – I mean – that that's it might it might not be Miami it might it's either Miami or Syracuse I can't remember which one it is but somebody in the ACC is starting a tight end at right guard just because they don't have anyone else to put there and so it's like man like that's tough you know like that that's another that's another reason why you need versatility because you know if you look at uh I mean if you look at Auburn's center you know and you've got three got out well, if you've got three centers out, if you've got a guard who's never snapped a football in his life, he's always just been playing guard or tackle or whatever, you can't just throw him in at center and have him snap the ball for a game. So it's very good to have versatility on the offensive line, especially now when you have no idea who's going to be playing week in and week out. Um, but, yeah, so that's, a, that's another thing that we'll have to keep an eye on. Another thing, a little side note that I wanted to talk about was that Seth Williams – you know, he's been he's been talking a lot about how he wanted to get his how he wanted to change his body a little bit, but I didn't I did not expect what he has. He's lost thirteen pounds since last season and he says he's lighter, faster on his feet. So I think it'll be interesting to see what kind of Seth Williams comes comes out on on Saturday because, you know, Usually Seth has been just a bigger guy. He hadn't he hadn't ever been the fastest guy, you know. Like usually Seth is when he's open, it's because he he worked for it. It wasn't just because he burned somebody. But if he's thirteen pounds lighter, you know, if he's gotten if he's gotten much faster over the offseason, that could be interesting if Seth has gotten to the speed where he can outrun some DBs. That could be a huge problem for opposing defenses. Yeah, I'm thinking he's making a transition from more of like a Duke William. Williams guy to more of like a Darius Slayton type of player. That's the impression that I get from and just looking at you know knowing what his weight was and then subtracting the thirteen pounds or whatever it is. Yeah, um, I think he's going to be much more of a downfield threat. I think that this year they wanted him to be that because they're going to try and use tight ends in that you know box the guy out kind of role, and they want the receivers to be well receivers yeah more just basic wide receivers yeah but um yeah so that's that's kind of how the wide receivers are looking and a position group that uh is looking pretty interesting is going to be the defensive line the defensive line is kind of a spot that coming into the season you had two guys that you knew were going to start and big cat bryant and tyrone truesdale everyone was like all right we know these guys are going to start 
Everyone else, it was kind of up in the air. You know, at the at the buck, you've got Derek Call and TD Moultrie fighting it out for the starting spot. Uh, going into at least about about two weeks ago, you had Daquan Newkirk and Coinus Miller going at it for the second defensive tackle spot. But now that Coinus Miller is no longer with the team, I would assume that Daquan Newkirk is going to start. That's where he's been uh, in practice. But we are going to see a lot of different guys on the D line this year. Uh, I would I wouldn't be surprised if we're playing nine or ten guys uh, between freshmen guys and just uh, sophomores you know all that younger guys they'll definitely be playing more than more than you would usually see a freshman coming in on the, a defensive line so that'll be interesting to see with just how the defense can adjust to losing Derek and Marlin I do agree I think it's going to be tough and it was tough losing uh, Coinus Miller just from a depth perspective um obviously the coaches felt like he was not contributing to the team um chemistry and that he needed to go so who knows if it's addition by subtraction or not but I mean that's tough when you know everybody's been preaching depth 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 and then you have to dismiss a player Mm -hmm. it's unfortunate yeah and another thing uh you know Matthew Hill was moved this offseason from wide receiver to defensive back. And I feel like we see that in just about every Gus Malzahn recruiting class. I feel like some wide receiver is always getting moved to DB. And, you know, usually, you know, usually when, when people start changing positions, you get kind of worried that, you know, something's gone wrong. But, I mean, if you look at how it worked with Noah Igbenogany, I mean, he went from a kind of a situational type guy at wide receiver to a first round pick at defensive back. So uh, what are you thinking about moving Matthew Hill to DB? Well, uh, when I think of Matthew Hill as a DB, my immediate thought is that kickoff return that Alabama had <laughs> laid out. I love the effort that he gave. He came nowhere close to catching him. He did not. I, he was still like two yards short, but he laid out. And so I just think of him in that. But it's like you said, we've had receivers get moved to DB, it seems like, every year. Um, and I can think off the top of my head, we have Igbenogany, obviously got drafted in the NFL. Uh, Trevon Reed has been in and out of the NFL, XFL, CFL. But, I mean, still, you know, mm-hmm. playing football. So that worked out for him. He was not playing at receiver. Um, but we've also had our guys that we moved over there, uh, like Devin Barrett. That you never hear from again, yeah. Yeah. So, I think that, yes, there's potential there. But the question is, can they really make the breakthrough? You know, I think that Gus really does give them a fair shake when they move over there. And that typically, they can identify the guys that are doing that. And, honestly, playing DB is a much smarter move than playing receiver these days. Because you think about the talent that's at receiver – I mean, you look at all these guys from Alabama, LSU, Georgia, like these guys are legit. Whereas you look at the guys who are going and getting drafted in the first and second and even third round of the NFL draft at DB, and you're like, that guy's getting drafted there? Like, I feel like it is way easier to get drafted as a DB in the NFL um, than it is to get drafted as a receiver because I feel like there are so many more just raw receivers because everybody wants to go and score touchdowns. Yeah, and like you said, you know, the, all these people that are, you know, with the Asia football now, it's kind of going away from the, you know, just shove it down their throat, run the ball, 
30, 40 times a game. And it's kind of going toward the let's just sling it around. We'll throw it 40 times a game and just see what happens. And it's working. I mean, that's the thing. You've got, I mean, you've got high-powered offenses that focus on throwing the ball with LSU this year. I mean, Alabama the past couple of years. Clemson's been a little bit more run, but at the end of the day, they like to th- uh, throw it around. And so it's just like all these guys are in high school and most most of these guys play DB at some point in their life. And usually they picked, am I going to be playing DB or am I going to be playing wide receiver? And most of them pick wide receiver because you get to score touchdowns, you get to look good, you know, you, you score. But with all these really, really talented guys picking to be wide receivers in today's game, less guys want to be the DB. And I feel like that does contribute to moving some moving some guys around on the depth chart. But uh, so let's move on. The, the, last kind of, the last kind of guy that I really wanted to talk about was Kalen Newton. And, you know, he came in, and when he committed, I didn't really know. I couldn't really figure out if that was a, we're getting this guy because he's Cam Newton's brother and he wanted to come to Auburn, whatever, so he's got a spot on the team. Or if it was going to be a, we're going to try and get this guy on the field. And so when they moved him to wide receiver, it kind of was like, all right, we're going to try and find find a spot for this guy. And apparently he has just been lighting it up. I mean, he has been – he's one of the hardest workers on the team. And he – you know, he's going really hard at wide receiver. He's approaching it with a good attitude. And I don't know if you've seen – if you follow Cam Newton on Instagram, but a lot of the videos he was posting uh, – all of his like workout videos and stuff like that. He was training with Kalen as a wide receiver. So I think that Kalen was kind of getting used to like kind of getting to the point where he was, he was used to running routes and doing all that and learning from an NFL quarterback, which is always good. But I don't, I mean, he's, he's probably not going to start this year seeing as how we return our starting wide receivers, but I definitely think you could see him, you could see him cracking cracking the lineup a little bit. Right now, he's been running second-team reps behind Eli Stove. So, you can kind of use your imagination. He can be like a screen guy or whatever. But what are you thinking about uh, – what are you thinking about Kalen? I think Kalen is going to be a really solid option. Uh, I feel like Gus really likes – kind of like we said that there's always a receiver that goes over to DB. I feel like Gus loves to take a former quarterback and put mm-hmm. them – in a position like either running back or receiver or whatever. I think that just the way that his offenses and now Chad Morris's offense works, I think that guys that play quarterback just understand the game so much more than guys that grow up as receivers or grow up as running backs the whole time. Um, and I think that gives them a distinct advantage. And obviously, I mean, he's training with Cam, who was an MVP in the NFL, definitely understands the game of football. I mean, who else – how would you not be good if you were related to Cam Newton and you had Cam training you on how to do stuff? So, I have high hopes. I don't – I'm with you. I don't know if he'll contribute early in the season. But he kind of reminds me of a guy last year like Shedrick Jackson. Mm -hmm. Early in the year, didn't get very much playing time, didn't do very much. But as the year progressed, he really got more and more on the field, got more comfortable in the offense, and got some good playing time towards the end of the year in, like, quality minutes. And so I think that's kind of the direction that Kalen's going for this season. Uh, yeah, and since you, you mentioned uh, how much Gus likes to, you know, move a quarterback to the wide receiver position, a fun fact for you, last year was the first year that 
Gus Malzahn has been the head coach at Auburn where there was not a converted quarterback at wide receiver. Wow. It was the first year ever. And now I'm going to flip it around, and I'm going to, I'm going to ask you the trivia question. Oh, no. In the year 2015, Auburn had two converted quarterbacks, both playing wide receiver. Who were they? Oh, let's see. 2015. There were two quarterbacks, and they actually played. Mm-hmm. Ryan Davis? Ryan Davis is not one of the guys that was included because he did not really – he didn't play as much in 15 as these other guys. So, I just beat your trivia question is what you're telling me. Well, I mean, you can say – the we can count Ryan Davis and you can say one of the other guys. Oh, man. Uh, Ryan Davis and uh, – let's see, 2015. Was Duke Williams at Auburn in 2015? I think he was, and I think he was a quarterback. No, it's not Duke. It's not – is it Darius Slayton? Mm, I give up. Who is it? It was Jason Smith and Marcus Davis. Wow. That was really unfortunate. I would not have ever gotten Jason Smith and – I kind of forgot about Marcus Davis. Yeah, Marcus Davis was a it was he was a he was an interesting guy because he was he was a good receiver, but I feel like a lot of people just kind of forgot about him. Probably just because of the era that he played in was not a not a huge one. I think people remember Marcus Davis for the twenty. He like had a really good game in the twenty thirteen Auburn Texas A and M game. Had a bunch of clutch catches, and then he just kind of disappeared for the rest of his career. Yeah, Grant. I mean, 2015 was a tough year to be uh to be on that Auburn offense, though. I mean, Birmingham Bowl. It was just a very forgetful year. It was. You said 2015, and I was like, "Hmm, who was playing?" <laughs> but Duke was on the team. That was the season he got kicked off the team in the middle of the year. Was that 2015 or 20? Yeah, it was 2015. Yeah, because he played. In, he played the whole 2014 year. I remember that. But uh, but yeah. So that was the little trivia question. It was nice to be able to stump you for once, catch you off guard a little bit. But uh, so today, we, we talked about this a little bit on the pod, but I think we should talk about it and let the listeners hear a little bit. Um, the ACC is reportedly trying to get every Division One team to make the NCAA tournament. What are you, what are you thinking about that? All right, I have two opinions. I have a positive opinion and a negative opinion. Which one do you want first? Let's get the positive one. Okay, the positive opinion is I believe the reason they're doing this is the TV ratings for 324 NCAA basketball teams playing in the NCAA tournament, the amount of hype it would be to have just a massive bracket and have every team in the country's team involved in March Madness would literally explode this nation. People would love it. People would literally love it. They would love that Southeastern Wichita State University was in the tournament. Okay, so on that hand, I understand why they're doing it. They're trying to keep these schools in business after coronavirus happened. CBS and TBS are trying to get their money back from what they lost this March. So on that hand, I'm like, okay, that's positive. 
on the negative side, I don't want to watch Southeastern Missouri, Wichita State playing against Duke. Yeah. Like, yeah. They would get murdered. It's going to be a terrible game. And then there might be one upset. Like, whoever beat Duke, who beat Duke? San. Uh, Stephen F. Austin. Stephen F. Austin. Yeah. Or could beat Duke. And then everyone's going to lose their mind and be like, oh my gosh, we have to have this every single year. No. Yeah. No, no. This is a terrible, terrible idea that's just a money grab. Yeah, and I agree. And I feel like it would just make the regular season just kind of mean nothing, you know? Like you can literally go 0 for 31 or 0 for 32, however many games you play, and still make the NCAA tournament. So I just I, – I personally wouldn't like that. And uh, I posted it on – I posted it on the page. And the comments that I've been seeing, most of the followers do agree that they would not – uh, not enjoy that one either. Well, here's but, the thing. You're going to win, like, what? Even if you win 16 games, you're still going to be, like, the higher-rated seed. Mm-hmm. So, anybody that wins, like, I don't, 16 to 18 games is going to have just a cakewalk against some poor soul that's won, like, two or three games. Yeah. Whereas, and usually, a team that won 16 wouldn't even make the tournament. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of bad basketball, and I think that it might – turn people off from the actual good games that are going to happen later in the tournament. Not to mention, think about how long that tournament would take. Yeah. That'd that be, would take yeah. like three months. Could you, it takes all of March to play 64 teams. Yeah, I think they'd probably need to move it. Uh, I feel like they'd probably need to move it to the summer for uh, for academic purposes with all of the college students. I mean, that's that's probably a month and a half to two months. You can't just – be out of town and not doing school that whole time, you know? Well, I'm sure they would not do it, like the NCAA tournament, where they're all – I'm sure it would be home and homes, more like the NIT does. Yeah, yeah, I could maybe see that. Around 64, they would do locations. But still, nobody wants to watch that. The reason nobody watches the NIT is because it's bad basketball. Yeah. Whoever is the 364th seed is not going to make a magical run – through what 20 games yeah i mean yeah exactly i mean you've got guys like you and me playing for some of those teams and then you're, we're going to be going up against anthony davis's and you know yeah. uh, it, it would just be absolutely brutal if they want a money grab the nit needs to do the money grab and say look everybody's in the nit this time so instead of having 364 people in the ncaa tournament 64 teams in the NCAA tournament, 300 teams in the NIT. ESPN can do their whole long whatever coverage of the NIT. Meanwhile, everybody else is watching the real tournament. Yeah. Don't ruin the best thing in college basketball. That's the only thing they have going for them is the tournament, and that would just ruin it. I agree. I agree completely. coaches voted yes. Yeah, which I didn't – I don't understand. I hope that – the NCAA does not change anything that they're doing. But I did see – they did this about a week ago. They the, the NCAA trademarked the term Battle of the Bubble. So I think that they might be changing – they might possibly be planning on having the NCAA tournament in a bubble setting and referring to it as that. So if they do that, they probably are going to have, you know, 64 teams or they might shrink it to 32 or something like that. But – 
it sounds like they're going to make the effort to have the NCAA tournament in a bubble and not just cancel it. Yeah. So, uh, I think that's a little bit a little if, comforting. If college, if you're playing the regular season outside of the bubble the whole time, what's going to change when the tournament comes around? That's – I don't know. March is so far away, and so many things have changed, you know, with the coronavirus and stuff that you can't make predictions of what's going to happen in March sitting here. Yeah, I agree. But, yeah, I mean, we – you know, we're we're here. You know, we made it to football season. We've got NFL – the first NFL games tomorrow, Thursday night football. Then you got a full slate of games on Sunday – um, we've had some some lower level teams, college football teams, been playing. We got ACC this weekend, so I'm excited, man. You know, Auburn's only 17 days away, but I'm I'm excited to have some college football this weekend. What have your thoughts been on the broadcast being remote from ESPN? Has it been weird for you watching games where the broadcasters were not in the booth? Have you? How do you think that they've done producing these games? So from the games that I've seen so far, they haven't done a terrible job. But I do think that it will be different because they can't see everything, you know? Like, at the, they're, they're watching it. They're watching what we're watching. So it's just like they can't really see what's going on on the other side of the field, whatever. They can only see the play. So I feel like the, the during the play will not be as, as different as, the, you know, their call as the play is happening. But I think it will be a bit of a different experience in between plays because they can't really talk about what was going on on, you know, the top of the screen that we didn't see. You know, if two wide receivers kind of get into a scuffle, but we didn't see it, then they won't be able to see it either. So they won't talk about it. So the replay crew won't go over, you know. So stuff like that, you know, little things that I think are going to be things that you might not notice, but they're not going to happen, you know. Right. Yeah, no, I think – I agree with you. It hasn't been the weirdest thing. The only time that I've watched a game and been like, this is pitiful, is I was watching the UAB Central Arkansas game. Now, granted, it was the UAB Central Arkansas game. And in a normal year, that would probably be terrible. But CBS is broadcasting, you know, South Alabama versus Southern Miss. And they did their normal broadcast. It was like a normal CBS production. It was on CBS Sports Network, and it, it seemed good. I was watching that UAB game. I've seen Facebook Lives with better quality than this. It was absolute <laughs> trash. I almost turned the game off just because the quality was so bad. And I, I just hope that ESPN puts their full, you know, weight into their production because that was tragic. They have had a lot – I don't know. ESPN has just really been slacking recently. And then on game day – You've got half the game day crew saying that they don't think college football should be played. Oh, good old ESPN. Yeah, it. I did think it was funny that Corso had his little setup where he had the cardboard cutouts of all the, the crew on the set, and he was just sitting in the middle like he usually would. But, um, yeah, the game, the game day thing, it, it, was, it was different not having, like, the fans and them on, like, the set. But at the same time, it didn't feel super weird because they all have, like, the same backgrounds that they always have when they're on the uh, the college football selection show or whatever. Yeah. So, it's like you've seen it before. You've seen it in a normal season. That kind of helped with the uh, with the normalcy for me. I agree. Uh, but, yeah, so 
Uh, we're going we're gonna to try and go back to our weekly schedule now that more stuff is happening. Um, we'll probably have uh, a pod during – when the season starts, we'll probably have it either Saturday night, sometime on Sunday. So it'll be kind of on the weekend. We might have another one on the Friday before the game, whatever. We'll figure it out. But uh, we're excited to be pumping out more podcasts. We're excited for Auburn football. And, you know, as always, if you all have any questions or things that you all want us to talk about some more – Feel free to DM the page and War Eagle. War Eagle.